Remember next Sunday is Easter as we have our uh, sunrise service, a great joy, eat breakfast beforehand, and then as the sun rises, we think of the Son of God risen. And then 11 o'clock worship and place of a Sunday night service, great time to worship. I wanted to share this morning a message on the cross. Entitled it, Take Me to the Cross, or I guess I could call it The Way of the Cross. And I thought of an old hymn that went through my mind last night. It says, The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. Tis sweet to know as I onward go. The way of the cross leads home. We think about the cross and we think about what Jesus did on our behalf. And I always think of Luke 9.51 where it says, Jesus resolutely set his sights on the cross. On Jerusalem. The place where he was headed. And our lives are to remember him. And we are to walk as he walked. It says in 1 John 2.6, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And, and so this morning, we are going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25 is our primary scripture. We're just going to look a little bit at some of the first three chapters. But I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor as I read aloud 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. For it is written. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God. The world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. To save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Gentiles. I mean, to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Let's pray. Lord, how good it is to be here, God, to worship you. Father, to remember the way of the cross leads home. You first walk that way up to a hill known as Golgotha, where you surrendered your life that we might enjoy life. And we are called to walk to that place and to remember you and to receive your gift and then to walk as you walked, Lord, as a servant, showing the way of God. I pray this morning, Lord, that you help us to go the right way, not the wrong way, to set our hearts on you. Lord, continue to lead us as we worship you. Set our hearts toward you, O Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. I love sports, and I can get really excited watching sports. More excited than is probably healthy. I remember the last time Lydia was home, everybody knows I'm a big Duke basketball fan, and I was yelling at some game, and Lydia told Cindy, said, Mom, it is just embarrassing how he acts during one of those games. And Cindy said, well, honey, you have, you've went through this your whole life. 
You see, it's just the way Daddy is. It's just the way he acts. During one of those games, the excitement begins to boil and just overflows. I'm sure I'm not the only sports fan that does that. I wanted to share with you this morning an incident that happened in the 1929 Rose Bowl where there was a lot of excitement going on. Matter of fact, the uh, guy who had just been elected as captain of the team for the next year was a guy named Royal Regals. He was the center for the California Golden Bears. And in this, that was his biggest moment up until this game, the 1929 Rose Bowl. I mean, it was a close game. And there was a fumble on the 40-yard line of the California Golden Bears by Georgia Tech. And Royal Regals, he managed to pick up the ball. And man, was he excited. He, he, he got the ball and he started running for the end zone. He went to the 40, to the 30, to the 20. And something happened to Roy. He got spun around by a Georgia Tech defender and lost track of which direction he was going. And so, you know what happened. He went to the 10, to the 20, to the 30, to the 40, to the 50. And, and you know, at first everybody was so confused. Some of the other uh, players on his team, uh, man, they were, they were blocking and everything else. And, and, and they were just confused. And then finally, uh, the quarterback saw what was going on. He said, man, I, you know, I got to tackle my own guy. And so he runs up there and he, he's chasing him down the field. He's, a, he's the last one near him. And he's like, Roy, Roy, you're running the wrong way. And Roy didn't hear him. He didn't understand him. He said, man, this is my touchdown. Don't steal my glory. So finally he gets down to the three-yard line and the quarterback grabs him around the waist. And by this time, Roy's figured out something's wrong. And so he turns around on the one-yard line, and, well, by this time, the other team tackles him. And, boy, did he feel bad. He went down in history, not remembered as the captain of the California Golden Bears the next year, but remembered as Wrong Way Roy. Wrong Way Roy Regals. This morning, as we look at a section of Scripture here in the book of Corinthians, we see the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to some wrong way Corinthians. They were running down the field the wrong direction, headed toward a different goal line, a goal line of this world, a place that's passing away, instead of the goal line of Jesus Christ, instead of the way of the cross that leads home. And as he talks to these people, he... He shares clearly about their position. Uh, in verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So there were some disagreements. There were, there were some fights. There were some wrong way Corinthians that were causing problems among the people of God. And Paul just addresses them straight out. He says, Chloe's told me, you guys are acting like children. Spiritual infants. Matter of fact, in chapter 3, verse 1, he says to them, Brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. 
And uh, as a student, that made me think of it. Someone has written, the, you know, the Honored Christian Soldiers? Well, they wrote this parody of it. They said, Backward Christian soldiers fleeing from the fight with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. Christ, our rightful master, stands against the foe. Onward in the battle, we seem afraid to go. Like a mighty tortoise moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where we've often trod. We are much divided, many bodies. We having different doctrines, but not much charity. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the cross of Jesus hidden does remain. Gates of hell should never against the church prevail. We have Christ on promise, but we think it might fail. Sit here then, ye people, join our sleeping throng. Blend with ours your voices in a feeble song. Blessings ease, comfort ask from Christ the King, but with our modern thinking, we don't do a thing. And the chorus says, backward Christian soldiers fleeing from the fight with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. Man, what words. And, and the apostle Paul's talking to the Corinthians, but he might be talking to us. Where are we with our walk with Christ? Where is the cross of Christ? Is Jesus hidden in our lives? Or can people see Jesus in our lives? Can they see that God loves them? Can they see that God has prepared a way for them and it's changed the course of my life? The light of Jesus, is it leaking out of me or not? And as Paul's speaking to the Corinthians, he's straight up with them. He says, you guys are acting like babies. You haven't grown in the grace of Jesus that you've received. And people need to see that grace. Listen to what they were arguing about. You get down there to verse 12. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Paul, the guy that came, the guy that started the church, the guy that God worked, they say, hey, I was, I'm part of the original church. I, I'm on that original charter of the church here in Corinth, and therefore I, I have a little more weight to carry around. And others said, but have you heard Apollos? Man, when Apollos speaks, man, I could listen to him all day. He doesn't put me to sleep like some of those guys. Or he, he says, but have you heard Peter? Man, Peter, you know, he was with Jesus. Peter actually heard Jesus with his own ears. He actually roomed and roamed with the Master. I'm with Peter. And then there were those who said, just Jesus. These are the guys that write you a letter and don't sign it except say, I do this through the love of Jesus Christ, one of those nasty letters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got one of those one time, I remember. And uh, matter of fact, I've decided if you can't sign it, I can't read it. So I have a file for those. It's called a round file. You stick those things in there. Guys, we are together. We're not to be torn apart. Look at the next verse here. As he says, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? <laughs> he says, I'm thankful I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized into my name. You know, he, he was saying here, guys, none of these guys, they were faithful servants. None of them wanted 
people to follow them. They wanted to point to Christ, to Jesus, not to themselves. They didn't want the glory. They didn't want the attention. They didn't want a following. And so Paul just says it clearly. We'll get down here to verse 18. He points them where? To the cross. He says, for the message of the cross. That's the key. It's the cross. Guys, if I stand up here and I don't point you to the cross, you need to get rid of me. You need to kick me out of here. Because there's nothing else I can say that will lead you home. There's nothing else that I can point you to that will give you hope other than Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He's it. And it's by way of the cross. No other way. And I want to look at this morning, uh, that road. What that road appears to us. Look at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, that word foolishness is from the Greek word moria. Yeah, you're right. We get our English word moron from it. He's saying here there are those who look at the cross and say, that's moronic. That's just stupid. Stupid. Called a buddy of mine. He was a roommate of mine in college this week. And we talked to each other every couple of weeks. And uh, asked him how he was doing. He's a chaplain in the Roanoke Hospital. His name is Gray. And Gray told me he got called. There was this woman. She was crying uncontrollably. So he went to the room. Her and her husband were in there. She started pouring out her heart. She said, five years ago I had an abortion. And I know it was wrong. And I, I feel like I'm being punished. And Greg tried to listen to her. And her husband was an atheist. And he just kept going on and on. What are you talking about? I only believe in people who have evidence. There's no evidence of God. And so Greg... He's sitting there trying to hear this woman. Finally, he turns and he looks at this guy and he says, Sir, I am not talking to you. And I'm not trying to listen to you. I'm trying to listen to your wife. I'm trying to to reach out to her, not you. So anyway, Gray told me, he said, After that, it was all I could take. He said, I walked out of the room and the security guard came by and he said, Sir, are you okay? He said, No. He said, to be honest with you, he said, I was about to pop. He said, I was in there with a guy and he made me so mad. He said, it had been another couple of minutes. You'd have been having to come in here and one of us would have been hurt. I don't know which one, but I had it. Why? Because this guy, to him, the cross was foolishness. And to my friend, the cross is life. And he was, he was just broken over that response. Broken over that response. Matter of fact, you know, uh, someone has said the definition of philosophy is somebody who talks about something he doesn't understand and try to make you think it's your fault. And that's kind of issues here. I want to read, this is from the message, which is a paraphrase of these verses, 18 through 21. It says, The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works and most powerfully as it turns out. It's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as crackpots. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? 
Since the world and all of its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in His wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb, preaching of all things, to bring those who trust Him into the way of salvation. Now, what's the way of the person without Christ? What does it look like? He goes on, he explains it in the next couple of verses. He says, while Jews clamor for miraculous demonstrations, you've got to show me something miraculous, some miracle. Greeks go in for philosophical wisdom. It's got to make sense. We go right on proclaiming Christ, the crucified. Jews treat like this, an anti-miracle, and, Jew, and Greeks pass it off as absurd. But to us who are personally called by God Himself, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's ultimate miracle and wisdom all wrapped up in one. Human wisdom is so tinny, so impotent, next to the seeming absurdity of God. Human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. It's not about impressive speech. It's not about a miraculous sign or wonder. It's about the cross. Which is the greatest miracle of all. Given to us. It's about, as George saying, watch the Lamb. To turn our attention upon the Lamb. Our our world is, it's running the wrong direction, guys. And Jesus says, you need to turn around before it's too late. Because once you die, it's too late and you need to head the other direction. You need to head toward the cross. You need to head toward the forgiveness of God that's found at the cross. And those He chose, He's not looking for people of influence, people of notoriety, people who impress with their words and with their accomplishments. He's looking for those who come with a humble heart to the cross. That's, that's what He's looking for. That's His goal. Um, Verse 26, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. He didn't say not any. He said not many. Most of us have some humble beginnings. I remember when I was in college, there were these guys down the hall. They were from uh, the suburb of the mighty metropolis of Spruce Pine, North Carolina. One of them was from Possum Holler. And the other one was from Lizard Lick. Now we're talking back in the sticks. Lizard Lick, North Carolina. Possum Holler. Oh boy, I still feel guilty. One of them, Douglas Deaton. He drove me crazy wanting a girlfriend. So I got a hold of this one friend of mine. Susan, I said, will you write this guy a love letter? Anonymously. I was so awful. She'd write him a letter every once in a while. We'd sit and read it and dream who this person was. Matter of fact, he called me about two years ago and I almost got the nerve up to tell him. (laughs) But anyway, now that I... The confession's good for the soul. This guy from Lizard Lick... But uh, anyway, uh, Jim Elliott, you know, who was a martyr among the Indians, he wrote, we're all nobodies just trying to be somebody. And guys, what happens when we see Jesus and who He is and what He did for me is we realize I am a nobody, but God sent us somebody. 
to die in my place. That I might become somebody. That's what he's done. And that's what he's given to us. I want you to look at chapter 2 and look at the Apostle Paul. How he demonstrates this walk, the way of the cross. Chapter 2. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. He didn't try to impress them with great thinking even though he was brilliant. He just told them what happened in his life. He just told them that Jesus got a hold of him and he was a different man. He said, verse 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Guys, I had, I'd heard a long time ago a, a, or read a quote in a book that caught my attention so strongly It said, I might be able to convince, but only God can convict. And I want, you know, we all want people to agree with us. We want to convince, but I want something more. I want more than to convince you of the reality of Jesus Christ. I want the Spirit of God to convict you. I want the Spirit of God to just get all over all of us. And to fill us and leak out of us and to touch lives and, and that He might be real and, and, and move among us and, and, and touch others through us. G. Campbell Morgan, a, a famous preacher of another generation, he said, years ago, a good man said to me, he's a wonderful preacher, but he sacrificed the prophet to the artist. He said, do not be so concerned with the beauty of the style that the message is lost. Because it's the message, not the messenger. It's the message. I love this quote by John Allen, who was part of the uh, Salvation Army. He said, I deserve to be damned. I deserve to be in hell. But God interfered. Isn't that good? Hey, listen, guys. That's my story and it's your story too. Nobody deserves the grace of God. Nobody deserves His saving touch. But God interfered. Isn't that good? Man, I was headed straight toward the pit. I was without hope. And God interfered. I'm so grateful He interfered, aren't you? So grateful He chose to work. Now, three statements as I wrap this message up that are key to staying on the way of the cross. First, remember the pit. David said this in Psalm 40. uh, He said, verse 2, He lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place. To stand. Hey. Never forget. That Jesus is the only reason. Any of us. Are headed to heaven. Never forget. The pit. Never forget what he saved you from. It's good to visit. To revisit. The place where you met Jesus Christ. Remember that you were in the mire and that God took you and He, he, he got you out of there, guys. 
It's the message of the gospel. It's the message of the cross. Uh, it talks about in um, Ephesians 2 verse 3. It says, but we were once objects of wrath. Another translation, it says, deserving of wrath. In John chapter 3, we always, of course, think of John three sixteen, how God so loved the world. You go down a couple of verses, and it says that the one who does not believe stands condemned already. Jesus is Savior of the world, but He needs to become my Savior. He needs to enter my life. And if He doesn't personally enter my life, I'm condemned already. That's where we stand. That's where it starts. Remember the pit. Secondly, refuse the praise. It says in uh, Proverbs 27 verse 2, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Someone else, not your own lips. It's easy to get big breaches when you get a lot of attention. And I think so often a lot of preachers that fall, they forget the pit. God blesses them. They're gifted speakers. They're charismatic. People look to them. And all of a sudden they start thinking they're more than they really are. And then they drift into sin and don't walk close with the Master. And they find themselves in the middle of a mess. Refuse the praise. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite teachers, he tells a story of They asked him and another guy to pick up this guy at the airport who was an important person in the free evangelical denomination of which he's part of. He said they went to the airport to get this guy and the guy says, Hello, carry my bags please. I looked at you, okay. And he says, um, anyway, he's wanting to be weighted on hand and foot. And he just had the, he said, you know, this guy's too much. And he said, they got there, and the guy said uh, to him, he said, he's a different one, isn't he? And Chuck said, yeah. And he said, I don't know who it was that 3 o'clock in the morning had ordered room service to go to his room and take beer and pretzels. <laughs> got a kick out of that uh, sense of humor. But uh, refuse the praise, guys. Third, rely on the power. John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you, if anyone remains, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The power is in Jesus Christ. It's being filled with His Spirit. It's in a walk with Him. It's, it's in a, a life that surrenders to Him, and that's a continual. Walk. It, it, it's not something you stop each day, each morning, each moment. It's a God, here I am. Lord, show me what I need to do to confess and, and to walk clearly in your presence. God, do that, Lord. Do that work. Close with the story of John Hutton, who was a guy that loved to talk about Jesus and he was made fun of at work by his fellow employees. Called him a fanatic, Jesus freak. He said one day to him, he said, You really believe that Jesus turned water into wine? And he said, I wasn't there. So I can't say for you his personal testimony that Jesus turned water into wine. 
But I saw him in my house turn liquor into furniture. I saw him in my house put together a family that was broken. As I had neglected my kids and trash-talked my wife. and He changed that. He changed my life. And I'll tell you, when He changed my life, when I took Him seriously, when I took His death on the cross seriously, and when I prayed to Him, God, You have all the power, and I don't have any power, and I beg You to give me Your power, Lord. And He turned <laughs> liquor and furniture. That's our God. That's the way of the cross. And that's the way He calls us. All right, I've come to the end of my words now. But service isn't over. We sing, we stand, and the altar is open. If God has spoken to you, come, pray, do business with Him. There's something you need to share with the body of Christ. I'd love to pray with you. Share with them. Guys, this world needs the cross. And it seems kind of nutso, but God has chosen those of us that have heard it and received it to share it. So may he call us. Let's pray. Lord, uh, good to be here today, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you opened up my stupid ears and stupid mind. For at one point it was foolishness to me too. But you spoke and you enabled me to hear God. Maybe there's someone here who says, eh... I don't know about that stuff. But today, you you gave them a different perspective. Maybe you're here and you say, Oh, the cross. I need to come to the cross. It's not too late. You can do that. You can simply pray, Jesus, you died on a cross for me. Jesus, you rose from a grave. For me, Jesus, you are at the right hand of the Father. Enter my life. I rest upon you, the one who is able to forgive, to turn me around so that I'll no longer be wrong way, but right way. And my prayer is that any head in the wrong direction, you would turn us to the cross. Father, bring us to you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.